This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I'm going to ask you a sensitive question. You're the radio woman? The existence of fairies has never been a question. The answer is no. They're real. You didn't let me ask the question. Very real. So, what am I looking for? There's something going on out there at night. Woods. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. What would fairies really look like? Really look like? What I'd like to know is, why did you bring her to me? Me. Would they look more like us? Spiteful, malignant, deadly, deadly. The sun was shining on the day we allowed the thing to enter the world. The afternoon was cool, but clear and beautiful. It had been raining for 42 days, and by the end of those 42 days, we really weren't sure it was ever going to stop. But stop it did. The day after, we received the letter. The letter was addressed to Dr. Morrison Flacken at our address care of Karen and Emily Coraman. That's my sister and myself. We lived together in the home our father left us. Dr. Flacken was a friend of our father's. Dr. Flacken had died just three days earlier in a strange accident. He'd been hit by a train while standing in the middle of the tracks. He'd been holding up his arms as if he could stop the oncoming giant locomotive. But, of course, he couldn't. The letter was brief. It read, You'll be receiving this missive on a specific date, long after my death. Tomorrow will be Midsummer's Eve. They've been waiting for this day for centuries. The stars are set, the lay in alignment. This is of primary importance, Morrison, but I know that you, of all people, understand. Just as the sun sets tomorrow, you must read this verse in the circular meadow we discussed all those years ago at Oxford. This will close the portal before it can come through. Please, do not be late. Eternal kind regards. Your friend, J. Coraman. We thought about ignoring the letter, but there was something about it that felt 
important. We dug through all of our father's old correspondence and found something from his time at Oxford, a mention and a map, the circular meadow. We thought we knew where it might be located. Dr. Flacken wasn't going to be able to keep this strange promise or appointment with my father, but perhaps my sister and I could. So we went there, to the meadow, on Midsummer's Eve, and just before the sun went down, I read the verse per our father's instructions. But I'd missed a word. My sister started to read it again, but it was too late. The thing appeared. It was not of this world, and just as it was about to erase me and my sister, the men who looked like Bible salesmen appeared and read something else, something that appeared to keep the strange, lumbering darkness at bay. Those men, they told us to run and to not look back. So we ran and ran, and although I tried to resist, I couldn't. I turned back and saw it, the great thing screaming and writhing in the night sky, crying from the doorway to some other world. That's when my sister yanked me forward and away from the meadow. This happened ten days ago. We sold father's apartment last week and vowed to never speak about what had happened that night. We decided I would write everything down in case something should happen to us. Colette, if you're reading this, something has happened. They've silenced us. Please, whatever you do, do not look into what happened. There are other things, Collie, things you never want to see or feel. Live your life as if it could end any day, because it could. We love you, Karen and Emily. Fairy is a ParCast production, available exclusively on Spotify. From the Public Radio Alliance in Minnow Beats, Wales, you're listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Stay with us. When we left you last episode, Elliot Waters and myself were standing in a clearing in Bath, England, surrounded by something, or things, or were we? Although it was a long walk, we made it back to the cottages without incident. The owner took one look at me and demanded Waters take me to the hospital immediately. I was released after a few hours on an IV for severe dehydration and given what the nurse referred to as sleeping tablets. She asked me how long it had been since I'd slept through the night. I explained to her that although I'd recently been sleeping longer than at any point in my life, 
I never felt completely rested anymore. She told me that my body appeared run down, that I had the appearance and vital signs of a person who hadn't slept for at least five days. I promised her that I'd try the sleeping pills. When I got back to the cottage, I took a pill and fell asleep. I had extremely strange and vivid dreams. I dreamt of the singing stone and the dark shadow things that surrounded us there. I'll get back to what happened, or what I believe happened in that clearing in a moment, but first, a bit of geographical background on where the singing stone was located. We stepped out of those woods outside of Bath, east of Claverton Down and the River Avon, close to a thick section of woods bisected by Worley Lane. Although the woods are dense and thick, there aren't enough of them to wander around in for hours without hitting a road or some kind of structure, unless you're doing a little bit of walking in circles. That's one thing that was bothering me about what had happened. The second thing, what actually happened at the Singing Stone? After Elliot Waters and I were surrounded by those things, he told me that he was going back to get proof. He asked me to close my eyes and told me that he'd be right back. I was terrified. I did what he said. As I stood there in those woods with those things close enough to hear them breathing, long, deep, low breaths, close enough to smell that sick, familiar smell, the fishy livestock smell from the hallway thing in my vision or dream or whatever it was, I heard the beasts turn around and move away. After a minute or so, I couldn't help myself. I opened my eyes. When I listened back to my voice recorder after this point, there was nothing but static. It's hard to explain exactly what I saw, because the beasts had moved to the far end of the clearing. They were assembled around the singing stone. The voices from the stone grew louder and deeper, so loud that I reached up to cover my ears. This had no effect on the volume of the sounds. The sounds were coming from inside my head. I could see waters. He was there with the beasts at the singing stone, his arms raised, his back and neck arched toward the sky. It looked like he was screaming, but I couldn't hear his voice. At that point, the singing in my head became so loud that I passed out from the pain. When I woke up, Waters was there, and we were walking through the woods. His hand was on my back, guiding me, keeping me upright. I don't remember much except walking through the trees. We stumbled out of the woods onto the main road, and then we were back at the cottage and then the hospital, and then I fell into the first good night's sleep I've had in ages. How are you feeling? Shitty. Are you allowed to swear on your show? I'm pretty sure I won't be using this. I can't imagine you know how to work that recorder. I've worked with sound equipment before. 
I think you'll find the levels acceptable. We'll see. He was right. The levels were fine. We spoke a bit more about my health and our plans to return to Seattle that evening before we addressed what had happened. I'd like to know exactly what you know or believe happened out there in that clearing. Getting that close, actually hearing the fade, can be disruptive, confusing. Yeah, but so can sleep deprivation. Of course, but I don't believe that sleep deprivation is responsible for you experiencing that reality. Is that what that was? Reality? It was very real. Yes. So, what happened? We were close. To the Fade. A gate was opened? Not exactly. Opening a gateway to the Fade is something that requires ancient knowledge, equipment, natural resources, and years of professional training. So, what was that? There are occasional rifts and tears, and there are times when the fate is very close, when access between the worlds is easier. When is that? There's a long-held belief that as we move closer to Midsummer's Eve, the fate moves closer to our world, and that on Midsummer's Eve, the fate is as close as it can get. But we're a ways away from Midsummer's Eve. And that's one of the reasons we're still alive. What do you mean? I mean, the Fade was farther away. Those things were unable to fully cross over. Is that what those things were doing? Trying to cross over? Maybe. Or perhaps they were just drawing energy from the stone. What were they? I, uh, I don't know. I've never seen them before. The Beast of Bath? Maybe. I'm not sure. Those people in the van, they took your phone. Yes. So, you still don't have photographic proof? No. But I did get something. What do you mean? I have this. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Waters wanted proof needed proof that the Fae were back, but his proof and my proof were different. Waters wasn't looking for video or photographic evidence, and a witness like me wasn't going to satisfy his requirements. What Elliot Waters was looking for was something else. He was looking for something otherworldly. Proof of the Beast of Bath. And he believes that he found it. 
His proof, the thing that he showed me in that cottage, was nothing more than a shard, and perhaps part of a horn or a hoof from one of those shadow things. He had it wrapped with a bunch of soil and weeds in a small brown leather protective case. What is it exactly? It's proof. Could you elaborate? There was a small tear, a section that momentarily touched like the tip of a wave. Just enough for me to reach through. And you pulled out that? Yes. A shard of interdimensional beast horn? Something like that, yes. And you believe this is what you'll need to convince them to reopen the department? I certainly hope so. So, Elliot Waters believed he'd found his proof. The next time I spoke to him, we'd been back in Seattle for a couple of days. He told me that the person who needed to see his proof would be back from Italy at the end of the week. At that point, he'd be able to make another formal request to reopen the department. As part of our deal, Waters agreed to let me speak with anyone interviewed as part of this series without his consent, participation, or knowledge, if I so desired. I sent a copy of this agreement to the email address I'd received from Agent Cook. He replied, I asked him not to tell Waters, but I have no way of knowing if he honored that request. We set an appointment for a call. Thanks for taking the time out to speak with me again. No problem. Elliot Waters believes he has proof. I've seen it. It should satisfy the requirement. The Beast of Bath? Maybe. So, that's it then? As soon as our former director takes a look, Waters should get what he wants. Why is it so important to you and Waters that the department be reopened? For the Fae. To protect them? We owe it to them. And so much more. For the sins of the department's past? That's a part of it. Yes. I understand you only have a few minutes, so I'll keep it brief. Thank you. Could you explain a bit about the end of the department and what the people who used to work there are doing now? If you can think of anybody who might be interested in preventing the department from reopening, and if so, why? Wow. Okay. I hope I remember all those questions. Sorry, I know it's a lot. It's okay. So, first, the end of the department. Most people believe that was a simple case of the current administration looking at the numbers over that 10-year period and pulling the plug. Most people, not you. No, not me. And not Elliot Waters either. And as to your next two questions, what happened to the people who used to work at the department and what are they doing now? Well, Waters was right. How? Most of them, of us, were reassigned, absorbed, filed away. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. 
Do you have any proof that this was happening? There were a number of incidents. What incidents? Two dissenters ended up dying under mysterious circumstances a few weeks apart. Dissenters against the shuttering of the department? Yes. Did anyone support the closure internally? A few of the younger agents without real-life experience with the Fae, and some of those who believed the Fae had disappeared for good, but most of the agents with field experience understood the risks of a world without the department. What risks, exactly? It's like leaving your door wide open all night long and sending your large protective dog away. Oh, and your wide open door is right next to a potentially apocalyptic otherworldly gate filled with terrifying unknown things that squirm in the cosmic dark. Right. Agent Cook made a compelling point. More than one, actually. But it was his response to my final question that I found the most interesting. And as to your final question? Yes. Is there anyone you can think of? Anybody who might be interested in preventing Waters from reopening the department? And if so, why? Agent Cook? There are some who believe we no longer deserve this world. That we no longer belong here. Who? I'm afraid that's all I can tell you, Miss Bailey. Please, if you could just tell me some place to start looking. You don't need to look for them. Why not? They've already found you. Agent Cook had a flair for the dramatic, but I couldn't help feeling a bit frightened after that conversation. I'm extremely skeptical about things like conspiracies and the supernatural, perhaps not quite as skeptical as I was before I began this podcast, but there was something about the sound of his voice. There was no question in my mind that this man was truly and deeply afraid. We heard a clip from Custer Milford, recorded at a Stanford University event in 1973 on our first episode. In that clip, Milford provided some background on fairies and revealed a potentially ancient origin for a group of watchers who protect the Fae, a group that might actually predate the department by centuries. What I'm going to play for you now is the last interview Custer Milford participated in before his death under mysterious circumstances in 1989. I won't leave the phrase mysterious circumstances just hanging there. Custer Milford was killed when he fell from the back deck of a ferry while crossing from Vancouver to Vancouver Island. The mysterious circumstances part of the story? Two witnesses on separate parts of the boat claimed Milford didn't jump, but rather flew off the back of the boat as if he'd been pushed. 
Neither witness could explain how this was possible, as both agreed and confirmed that Custer Milford was completely alone on the back deck of the ferry at the time of the incident. And now, the last known interview Custer Milford participated in before his death. He's speaking to a journalist in Montreal about a book he had just finished, a book that was never published. In a speech I saw you give on secret societies, you spoke of a group dedicated to protecting fairies. Yes, they're extremely secretive and extremely busy these days. It's almost Midsummer's Eve. Right, and why is that so important? Why, it's when the veil is as close as it gets to us. It's when the two worlds can sense, see, or feel each other. It's also when certain things might slip through. Fairies. Among other things. What kinds of other things? All kinds of things. Things that are difficult to explain or understand, but that's all going to be in my book. And this group, what do they do? These days they do their best to protect both us and them. Map the ley lines, monitor the Fade. These days? Well, in the past, before we understood the Fae, they imprisoned, murdered, experimented on, and persecuted them. Oh. Those are dark times. And these Fae, they know about their protectors? Oh, of course. Although not all of them consider the department their protectors. No? No, there are many who refuse to forget the days of persecution, torture, and murder. Although certain reparations were made, what happened to the Fae back then was terrible, unforgivable. And there are some who will never forgive or forget. All that sounds kind of scary. Oh, it is. And they are. That's where the interview cuts off. Milford's book was never published. In fact, after his death, nobody was able to locate any of his work. His estate maintained that Milford quit writing long before his death, but others are not so sure. I've noticed a pattern of references, mentions, and asides pointing to a group of the Fae who weren't friendly to humans. Perhaps they were unwilling to forget the horrific crimes alleged by Waters, Dr. Milford, and others, or maybe they were just wild or evil. But if I was willing to explore the existence of the department and the Fae through Elliot Waters, I also needed to look into this other aspect, the dark to the light. Fairies who not only shun or shunned the protection of the department, but also openly despise that organization and perhaps all of humankind. I was going over some of the extra audio recordings from England when I received a call from Elliot Waters. She's gone. Who's gone? The Spriggan, the South Star. What happened? Can we meet? I met Elliot Waters at a coffee shop near the studio. He led me out the back door, into the alley, and into his car. It was running. We drove a few blocks and parked outside an old cafe. Waters appeared tired, very tired, worn thin and ragged. I'm not sure he was in shape to be investigating anything. What happened? Where is she? I don't know. 
She didn't show up for an escape room job, which is completely out of character. April never misses anything. She's punctual. Did she maybe just forget? She didn't forget. Did she have a boyfriend or something? Girlfriend? Others brigand? She has a wife who has no idea what happened. The South Star is gone. I can feel it. You can feel it? Like telepathy feel it? It's more like empathy. Uh, a connection to the Fade. You don't think anything like normal or earthly bad happened to her? Like kidnapping or something? No. This is definitely unearthly bad. So, what are we gonna do? Waters. We're going to bring them proof. They're going to reopen the department, and I'm going to bring her back. I wanted to ask Waters a few more questions, and frankly, I was interested in seeing where and how he lived. I asked him if he'd be willing to show me around his house. He agreed. Elliot Waters lives in a small mid-century house on almost an acre of trees just outside Seattle. It's a beautiful parcel of land, evergreens, ferns, and moss. I can definitely see the appeal of living here. As we approached the house, we could tell something was wrong immediately. The door was open, and the garbage and recycling bins were lying on their sides. Waters rushed from the car and ran into the house. I followed. It took me a while to start recording. Waters went straight to a small wall safe. It was open and empty. Whatever he had hidden in there was gone. It turns out, one of the things he had in that safe was his proof, the Shadow Beast Shard from the Fade. It's gone. Who do you think took it? The same people who have been working to keep the department closed. You're sure it wasn't just a burglary? They opened the safe. They knew the combination. It still might be a burglary. They didn't take anything else. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. It's just, it's been a rough few days. At this point, Elliot Waters pulled the SD card from a hidden camera and slipped it into his laptop. He pressed play and fast forwarded the footage until he found what he was looking for. It's a bit hard to make out, but it appears that three figures enter the home. They're hooded. They go right to the safe. They open it quickly and remove something. Just before they leave, one of the figures takes off its hood and looks up into the camera. I know her. What? That woman. You know her? She's the woman who was waiting in my apartment. Are you sure? Positive. At this point, Waters started the video again. He wanted me to take another look at that woman, but this time, the footage was corrupt. It was nothing but static. The video we had just watched was gone. What's going on? What happened to that video file? At this point, all the color drained from his face. 
We heard the sound of the front door opening and footsteps entering the room behind us. I smelled the familiar milky cinnamon scent before I saw her. We turned and there, standing in Waters' living room, was the woman who had broken into my apartment to warn me about Waters earlier. Hello, Elliot. Morgan. You've been listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Fairy is a ParCast production, available exclusively on Spotify. Fairy is produced by Terry Miles, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Silver, and me, Ryan Bailey. Associate producers, Carlene Bennett and David James. Executive producers, Terry Miles and Hollis Adams Lane. If you enjoy Fairy, you'll love our other shows, Tannis and Rabbits, at tannispodcast.com and rabbitspodcast.com. For legal and safety reasons, we've elected to change some names and leave others out entirely. We don't do this very often, but we're unwilling to compromise people's safety for any reason. Thanks again for listening to Fairy.